0: matthew twenty two thirty four through forty But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him: "Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law?" And he said to him, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and second is like it: You shall love your neighbor as yourself." On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. This is the Word of God. It's been a while. A long while. So I've been had the privilege of standing before you and opening up the Word of God. Before I begin, I have a prayer request for you. Uh, next week, I'm going to be flying down to Anaheim, California, and I'll be preaching down there for three weeks uh, in a church. And the church has some real problems. Uh, It went from about 125 folks to 25 folks uh, in a very short period of time. They need a movement of the Holy Spirit in their congregation. And they need to understand uh, how much God loves them. And uh, they need to stop bickering over Issues from the 1970s, all right? Uh, And um, I'm not the only one. After me, there'll be several others. that will be coming down, working with them. And uh, just, just pray for them, would you? Pray for them. And pray for me as I open up the word of God to them. Now, if you've heard me preach before, and many of you have, you know that I do not do well with abstracts, okay? Uh, I'm more of a concrete man, you may remember. Well, today you're going to learn something else about me, and that is I like things to be simple. Okay, I would never, ever make it as an engineer, you know, who takes simple concepts and make them complicated. You know, that I, would, I could never do that. And I want my message this morning to be simple, not complicated, just as simple as I can possibly make it. Now, keeping that in mind, one of my favorite ways of, of looking at the Bible is to, to make two columns. And on one column, I write what God has promised to do okay what God's going to do the other column is what does God want me to do uh, there's a couple of mistakes we can make in the Christian life number one is if we don't know what God has promised to do then we might try to trust him for something that he's never said he's going to do you know the uh you know, whatever I say God's going to do, God's going to do it, and then you get disappointed because he doesn't, and you fall away from the faith. The other problem that I've seen a lot in the Christian life is that believers simply do not know what God wants them to do. You know, they just kind of walk around and say, well, you know, maybe maybe God wants me to do this, or maybe God wants me to do that. Um what I want to do today is to look at that second column. What does God want me to do today? What does he, what does he expect of me? It's going to be simple, but not simplistic. It's going to be simple, but not easy. You have to make a distinction there. Now, I come from what's called a dispensational theology background. Um, Instead of a teething ring, my mom gave me a Schofield Bible to chew on, you know, when I was a babe. Now, some of you have no idea who Dr. Schofield is or anything, but uh, maybe you'll learn. The heart of dispensational teaching is to discern what promises of God are for us today, and what responsibilities do we have today as opposed to others in, at other times? Now, Dr. Schofield came up with this method of, I think, simplifying our understanding of the Bible. And he called the first dispensation the dispensation of innocence. Man's responsibility in the dispensation of of innocence, we'll go with his his title there, was that man was to till the garden, okay, which was really easy because they didn't have weeds back then, all right, till the garden and don't eat of one tree. Now, it wasn't an apple tree, it wasn't a pomegranate tree, I don't even know if pomegranates grow on trees, but, you know, it, it was... It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in Genesis chapter 2, looking at verses 15 through 17, we, we, we see God saying this, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will surely die. So, man's responsibility, pretty simple, pretty basic. Tend the garden, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, God's implied promise was that he would care for them. He would provide for their needs. They would not die if they just did the simple responsibilities that, that God gave them. Well, to make a long story short, they blew it. Okay? And, according to Dr. Schofield, the dispensation of innocence ended, a new dispensation began, and so on. As a result, God made promises to humankind. You see how I was politically correct there? Humankind? Okay, made this uh, promise, gave them new responsibilities, and as you go through Schofield's system of dispensations, what you see is each dispensation begins with a new responsibility and a new promise, and each dispensation ends with a failure of man to keep it. And it's a simple way of, of going through the Bible and You know, it's it's one of many methods. I'm not saying this is, you know, everything in the world. But now I'm not here to talk to you about dispensations. What I want to talk to you about is what does God expect from us today? Not what did he expect from Adam and Eve. Not what did he expect from Abraham or Moses or David or anybody else. What does God expect for us today? So here we go. Responsibility number one. Grow spiritually. Grow spiritually. The admonition we find in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, is to grow into the stature of the fullness of Christ. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect or mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, we have a measuring rod for spiritual growth, and it's not Pastor John. Okay, it's not Ken. You know, it's not Fred. You know, the measure. Until we come to the measure of the stature. Of the fullness of Christ. The measuring rod is Christ himself. So stop comparing yourself with anybody else. We only compare ourselves to Christ. And it says that God gave these men to the church. Pastor Chad. One of these that God has given, John, Pastor John, to equip us to do the work of the ministry. And the end result that we're all looking for, the goal is the measure of the stature of the fullness or the completeness of Christ, to become Christ-like. That's our goal. Simple, isn't it? I didn't say easy. I said simple. We are to become like Christ. Now, spiritual growth includes intellectual growth, but it's not just limited to intellectual growth. Over in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is perfect or pleasing and perfect. God wants to transform our lives. That's the way we live. That's what we do day to day. And how does he do it? He does it by changing the way we think. We have to get rid of the stinking thinking and get godly thinking, Christ thinking. Change the way we think. It begins there, but notice it doesn't end there. The result of changing the way we think is to have a transformed life. Now, unfortunately, I have known a lot of individuals who have got caught up on intellectualism, religious intellectualism, where it's just a matter of of more knowledge and more knowledge and more knowledge and more knowledge, but, but that knowledge never changes the way they live. I think the church I'm going to next week in Anaheim is one of those that's caught up on intellectualism. And so a lot of my sermons are going to be how to be transformed in your life. You already have the knowledge. The whole idea of this formation of Christlikeness in us was a real focus of the Apostle Paul's teaching. Uh, look at Galatians 4.19. Now notice, this is the teaching amongst believers. It's not the teaching, the evangelism that did with unbelievers, but now he's talking about what he did when he preached to believers. Galatians 4.19. Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until... Christ is fully developed in your lives. Wow. We've got a couple of ladies in the last couple of weeks who have experienced the labor pains. Okay. Try to imagine it. Men, try to think kidney stones if you've had one. All right. Uh, the pain, the suffer, the agony. What? Tell believers come to the point where Christ is fully developed in their lives. Christ-like attitudes, Christ-like thinking, Christ-like behavior. Now, why does God want us to become like Christ? Well, I think one reason, and I think probably one of the most important reasons that God wants that to happen is so that we can enter into a deep, loving relationship with Him. Little read from Matthew. Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The first, the greatest commandment is to love God. God created humanity in order to enter into a love relationship with him. Folks, that is basically why we exist. He created because he wanted to have a love relationship with us. I believe that's why God gave us free will. Now, if you're a theologian, you just realize that Calvin is not a Calvinist. (sighs) God has given us a free will. Why? Because love is a choice. You can't force someone to love you. Love is a choice. And God gave us a choice. But humanity used free will to walk away from God rather than to love him. And so... Ever since then, God is still seeking to develop a love relationship with us. That The whole purpose of the cross was to develop a love relationship with us, to break down that middle wall that sin created within us. And God is still seeking to establish that relationship with you and me today. Our first responsibility as believers is to grow spiritually to the point where we are experiencing that love relationship with God. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, it says, And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, How long, how high, and how deep is his love? Every Christian should understand that. May you experience the love of Christ. Now, that's not intellectually understand the love of Christ. It is experiential in our lives. Experience the love of Christ. Though it is too great to to understand fully, Blows our minds then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. You want the power of God in your life? It is a product of entering into a love relationship with Christ. The the fullness of of God's life and power comes after experiencing this relationship with Christ. And So many times we get the cart before the horse. You know, we we say, okay, you know, let's go for God's power. Let's go for fullness of life, but we forget that it comes after loving God. In my old vocation, we would say, it's time to back up the bus. Come on. We've gotten ahead of ourselves here. Let's love God. When we understand that this is the believer's primary purpose, primary responsibility in life to love God, we have to ask ourselves the question, how do I do that? Okay? It's one thing for the preacher to stand up here and say, yep, everybody love God, love God, love God, you know, love God more. How are you going to do that? A few years back, I did a survey of a group of believers. And I asked them, what are you doing to fulfill this responsibility? And I want to read some of the responses I got back from that survey. One was, Daily reading or studying God's word and meditating on it. Fellowshiping with other believers. Praying scripture back to God. Listening to Christian music. Attending church and listening to sermons. By the way, those two aren't necessarily the same. Okay. Talking to God in every situation during the day. Going away for more private and personal time with God. Singing Christian songs, playing them on a musical instrument. Attend a small group where we challenge each other. Running and talking with God. Okay, that one's out for me. All right, the first part ain't all right. Listening for the quiet voice of the Holy Spirit leading me. Examine my life periodically. Evaluate my walk with God. Looking for the character of God in his creation. Making spiritual growth my highest priority. Christian reading, Christian biographies, Christian growth. All of these are good ideas. Good idea. They don't necessarily mean you're going to grow in your love relationship with God, but there are certainly means to get there. Now, since this is our number one job, okay? We all agreed with that. This is our number one responsibility. Now, how many years have you been saved? 67 for me. Now, we should be pretty good at it, shouldn't we? Because we've had a lot of time to work on this. Part two of my survey was to ask the question, how are you doing? How are you doing on it? I got questions like this, or statements like this. I'd like to spend more quality time in the Word, And a closer relationship with God, but I don't. I think there's a lot I could be doing that I'm not. Things I am doing are great, but it could be so much more. There's a lot more I want to do for my spiritual life. I don't feel as if I know God very personally. I have had information as how to correct this, but I generally fail. And the self-discipline necessary to do it is too much. My daily time with God needs more consistency. I need to allow God to direct my life. And then this one, I love it. I need to keep the main thing, the main thing in my life. This is the first commandment. This is the greatest commandment. This is our greatest responsibility. So I ask you, is the main thing, the main thing in your life? On a scale of one to ten, where you know one is eh, not at all, and number ten is yes. Praise God, I'm experiencing that in my life. One to ten. Where would you put yourself? Where would you put yourself? What are you willing to do to change it? You know the old adage: If you keep doing the same thing, you're going to keep getting the same results. Something has to change in order to move that up the scale. If you desire to do that, what is it you are willing to do to change so that you can? I kind of would like to end the sermon here. <laughs> Leave you thinking about it. I don't want to dilute it. But we've got two other responsibilities in the believer's life. So we'll move on. Responsibility number two. Encourage other believers. Here's the admonition back in Matthew chapter 22, verse 39. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now this verse actually covers point two and point three here this morning. The first responsibility we just looked at has to do with our relationship with God. Numbers two and three have to do with our relationship with other people. Everybody falls into one of two categories, spiritually saved or unsaved. We have a responsibility to both groups. Let's look at our responsibility to other believers first. Over in Ephesians chapter 4, look at this again, 11 and 12. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work to build up the church, the body of Christ. Whose responsibility is it to build up the church? If you said the pastor's, you're wrong. The pastor's job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, which is the building up of the church. Okay, I've been a Christian now 65 years. Uh, Let's see, how am I doing on this one? Hebrews chapter 10. No, let's go back to 2 Timothy 2.2. I love it. It's called the Tutu Principle in Scripture. All right? It says, You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Did you get that chain there? Paul taught Timothy. Who is to teach trustworthy individuals? Who would then teach others? As believers, we have a responsibility to other believers to love them. First commandment, love God. Second, love others. Now, in, in Hebrews chapter ten, Verse 24 and 25. I've seen this verse taken out of context so many times. I'd love to have a $100 bills for each time. Um, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I've had so many people who just took part of that verse, you know, and, and, and says we should not neglect our meeting together as if just coming together was enough. You know, when we come together for church, we're there. I have fulfilled my obligation to God. That's not what it says. Why do we gather together? Well, one is to deepen our relationship with Christ. Another, to strengthen our love for God, our commitment. But according to this passage here, we gather together to motivate one another to acts of love. We motivate one another to good works. We gather together to encourage each other. Does that enter into our mindset when we get in the car to drive to church on Sunday morning? Does it enter our thought processes at all that I am going to church and I am going to church not only to receive so that I can grow in my love relationship with God, but I am going to church to to encourage, to motivate others into acts of love and good work and to encourage them? Does that enter into our thinking on Sunday morning? We live in a society today that is all about getting. You know, I'm going to go to this church, and if they don't have what I want to get, then I will go to another church where I want to get something. We think about getting. Pastor Chad talked about paradoxes a couple weeks ago. The way to get is to give. If we're more concerned about giving to others, then they're going to be more concerned about giving to you. I learned in the business world that the way to make yourself successful in business is to make the people around you successful. Then you automatically are successful. We can grow spiritually By helping other people grow spiritually. The old saying that the teacher learns more than the student is certainly true. In Romans chapter 12, it talks about spiritual gifts. And it says, in his grace, God has given us different gifts to do certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy Speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's to give, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have the gift of showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Spiritual gifts are not given for the purpose of edifying ourselves with them. They are given for the purpose of edifying others with them. And every believer has the responsibility to minister to other believers. There's no escape hatch. There's no, oh, no, you know, I I fall in the category C32, you know, which excludes me. I am constantly amazed at the number of Christians that I have met who have absolutely no concept of this responsibility. They come to church. They walk out the door afterwards. They never minister to any believers all week long. They have no idea that this is a responsibility that God has given us today. Now, again, in my survey I did a few years back, I ask Christians, what are you doing to fulfill this responsibility? What do you do to comfort, encourage, exhort other believers? And here's some of their answers. I look for needs in other believers where I can come alongside and help them. I disciple or mentor other believers one-on-one. I pray for people. And tell them, I am praying for them. I purposefully encourage those who are ministering to others. That's kind of the minister to the minister. You know, we, we forget the minister to the minister sometimes. I send cards, notes, and make phone calls to encourage people. I use my spiritual gift to minister to believers. I actively listen to people. Boy, there's a big one. Not just listen, actively listen. If you've never studied the different ways of listening, it's it's something you should do. I comfort those suffering a loss. I relate scripture to the needs of those in difficulty. I help hold others accountable to God's word. I join a small group to get to know the needs of others. I volunteer my time to help those in need. I provide meals for those in need. I smile. Sometimes that's all people need. a smile. I look for people who are discouraged or depressed so I can encourage them. I help and encourage other believers to use their spiritual gifts. I set a godly example for others to follow. Ah, that's one we should all be doing, right? I allow free time in my schedule to minister to whomever the Lord leads. Wow, I'm retired. I don't have a schedule anymore. <laughs> what I did, you know, something came up. Well, well, you know, hurry, gotta, you know, I gotta be. Wow, well, free time. I open my home to invite people over with the purpose of encouraging them. I thank people for using their spiritual gifts and talents for God. I am open with my faults and failings so others don't feel alone. I like that one. Yeah. Now, don't confuse programs with ministry. I've been in churches where we had a lot of programs. and People were running themselves ragged, investing themselves in programs to the point they never had a chance to minister to anyone. Eh, And you know, they need to ask the question, am I really ministering to anyone in this activity? A lot of other Christians kind of have the idea, well, if it happens, it happens. They don't plan to fail. They just fail to plan. No plan plus no purpose many times means no ministry. This is the second responsibility God has given us. So let me ask you today, what is your plan? What is your plan? To minister to others as God has commanded us to do. On a scale of 1 to 10, let's do that again. What number would you give yourself? Zero. Just walk out the door. Don't talk to anyone. Don't let anyone talk to you. Get out. And again, what are you willing to do? You're not happy. If you say, you know, I am really not fulfilling my responsibility to God, what are you willing to change? Let me think about that this afternoon. Responsibility number three. Reach the lost for Christ. That's the other part of loving your neighbor as yourself, is reaching out to the lost. Let's look at the admonition, 2 Corinthians 5.20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God is pleading through us to a lost world for them to be reconciled, to be brought together for God. We are Christ's ambassadors in in a lost sea of humanity. Our message is to come to God and experience His love. Our message is God wants to enter into a love relationship with you today. I was at a minister's association meeting once and the pastor got up and he says, we are taking out a full-page ad in the newspaper. I said, oh, okay, what's in it? The Ten Commandments. There's nothing wrong. Doesn't that kind of fuel the idea that Christianity is just about do's and don'ts? Where is love? Where is God wants to bring you to himself so he can love on you? We are all called to witness for Christ. Romans 10, 14 says, But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? and how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him and how can they hear about him unless someone tells them god has committed to us the message of reconciliation joining together with god you know after christ the apostle paul is probably the greatest evangelist in the world and paul even told timothy do the work of an evangelist This is our responsibility covered in love thy neighbor. So again, let's go back to the survey. I asked folks, what are you doing to accomplish this? I learned how to present the gospel in an evangelism class. Well, I think that's step one. You don't know how to share Jesus Christ with someone in a positive way, you know, by all means, take an evangelism class. Two, have I have contacts and build relationships with unsaved people. I don't know if you ever heard of Bard, I forget what his first name is, but he does surveys all the time. Christian surveys. And he found out in one of his surveys that 70% of all Christians did not have an unsaved friend. Now, how are we supposed to evangelize the lost if we don't even know anybody that's lost? If we don't have any relationships? Somebody else says, I model the Christ-like life and show Christ's love in my actions. I pray for those who are unsaved. I let people know I'm a Christian in an inoffensive way. An inoffensive way yeah, we can let people know we're Christians in a very offensive way, can't we? We can put down people, make ourselves seem super spiritual. We know how to do it in an inoffensive way. I am sensitive to the Holy Spirit's call to witness. I believe the Holy Spirit works on people. Getting them ready to receive Christ as their Savior. Then he looks for someone to come along and give them the information. Another one said, I invite others to gospel activities. I think it was somewhere around nineteen. No, let's see. Yeah, it was nineteens. Uh let's see, 76 something like that. Some of you older you can remember that. Uh, Billy Graham did a crusade over in the Kingdom, over in Seattle. And I remember that we were just, you know, inviting people like crazy to go over with us. And hear Billy Graham speak. There are other evangelical gospel. Opportunities, concerts, Christian concerts. Many times they'll have a they'll share the gospel with them. So on a scale of one to ten, here we go, closing. On a scale of one to ten, how are you doing in inviting the lost to be reconciled with Christ? Zero. I never talked to anybody about it. Never done anything about it. Don't plan on doing anything about it. That's the job of the evangelist or the pastor. Let me just throw this in. It's free. Okay. I'm going to Anaheim for three weeks. I'm preaching on Sunday. Okay. That gives me six other days down there in Florida. I mean California. And uh, so the person who's setting this up says, well, what else do you want the pastor to do? And they said, well, I don't know, well, whatever pastors do uh, down there. You know, maybe he could do some evangelism. That's kind of the thinking we have sometimes is what's the pastor's job to do the evangelism. Folks, we have three responsibilities. Just three. Love God. Minister to other believers. Now let me put it this way. Bring others one step closer to God. You might not be able to bring, the Bible says some plant the seed and some water and some reap, but let's at least bring people one step closer to that relationship with Jesus Christ. How do we do that? Well, again, well, we're going to have to make some changes. if We want to get better at this. And, and change, I believe, begins with confession. I need to change. First of all, I need to admit I'm not doing a very good job. I need to confess that. I need to confess that to God. Say, God, I'm not doing a very good job job at at growing in my love for you, or I'm not doing a very good job at ministering to believers, or I'm doing a horrible job at leading people close to you. You know what? God loves weakness. That's no other than paradox. Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong. God loves it for us to come and say, God, I am so weak. Maybe we need to say, God, I lack the desire. That's how weak I am. Or I lack the power. And God, I am going to trust you to provide that for me. Give me that desire. Give me that power. Give me that change in my life so that I can keep those three responsibilities Before I close in prayer, I just want total silence here. I want you to talk to God within your own heart. No one praying out loud. Just you and God right now. Talk about whatever he's talked to you about in the sermon. And then in a minute, I'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, for many of us, it's not a choice of one, two, or three. It's one, two, and three. Many of us who've been saved a long time, in essence, may have only been one year old in Christ 55 times. Help us, Lord, to grow grow in our relationship, our love relationship with you. Give us the desire and the power to meet with you, talk with you, learn about you, experience that love that passes all human understanding in our life. And Lord, give us a desire then to Share that love Administering ministering to others, helping them grow in their love relationship with you, maybe. And then, Father, as we reach out to the lost, maybe, maybe it is just bringing them one step closer, and somebody else will bring them another step, and finally, the end will come. But help us to remember that's one of our three responsibilities. Father, it's simple, but not simplistic. It's simple, but not easy. But Father, yours is the power and the glory.